Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh for an encouraging word titled, Wonders of Wisdom. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each one of you. God bless you in Jesus' name. I have a message called Wonders of Wisdom, and there's just a whole lot of wonderful content in this message, but let's say a prayer. Father, we want to uh, really be intimately one with you and use this message to bring us all much, much closer to you and conform us to the image of Jesus for your glory, for the blessings of multitudes of others, and of course, for our own benefit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Wonders of Wisdom is the title. Now, I don't have any introduction. I get right into it. The first point is we must never seek wisdom as a thing, but rather rather as a person, the very person of Jesus. Now, this is really important because Jesus is the very embodiment of wisdom. He's the very person of wisdom, just as he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Well, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. So Jesus is wonderful in wisdom and in wise counsel. Isaiah prophesied again in chapter 11 of that book, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 11. And and uh, so just the first thing, thing about Jesus, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. And then in the book of Proverbs, wisdom speaks as a person and sounds exactly like the everlasting Son of God. Wisdom speaks, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that its waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing all before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men." So you see that wisdom was right in there uh, co-creating with the Father. The Apostle John wrote, through him, he's talking about Jesus, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. John chapter 1 verse 3. You see, Jesus is the eternal word of God. He did have a, a beginning of his earthly body, but his spirit, the everlasting word of God, uh, is eternal, all right? 
and uh, equal with the Father. Then in Colossians 1.16, Paul wrote, For in him, that is in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, the whole point I'm making is that we do not want wisdom independent, independent of God. Wisdom is wonderful, as is the family of wisdom, whose members are discernment, discretion, prudence, insight, understanding, and tact. Now, Satan was once wise. King Solomon was once wise. But when they started using their wisdom independently of God, it corrupted. They both ended up rebelling against God. In the book of Ezekiel, the Spirit of God talks about the king of Tyre. And we believe this refers to Satan because the earthly king was never an anointed cherub. So here's the portion of Scripture talking about uh, how Satan was once wise. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you which means he was one of the very most powerful angels. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Then verse 17, your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. And then in verse 19, you have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Well, uh, Satan is doomed, and he's going to spend eternity, eternity in the lake of fire. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. We want to make sure we don't end up there, because the Bible does say everyone whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's coming in the future. So we want to make sure that we we have all, uh, you know, truly accepted the Lord and his uh, free gift of salvation. But my point is, wisdom and its relatives are wonderful as long as they're plugged into God. But if wisdom becomes independent from God, it corrupts and it turns into craftiness, cunning, scheming, deceit. See, everything wicked now, God gave King Solomon great wisdom, but he pursued wisdom as if it was a thing. He pursued it independently of God as if it was something that he could possess and have it be his. And in his later years, then, his, he did not follow the very scriptures that he wrote. His heart turned away from the Lord, and he built temples for uh, a lot of the heathen women that he had married and he was a very, very selfish man to marry, a th have a thousand wives and concubines. You couldn't possibly meet the emotional needs. Or, I mean, that was just a horrible, selfish thing to do. But he did write three books of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's just that he didn't heed what he wrote. Now, as wonderful as wisdom is, Remember, I'm, it must not be pursued independently of God. You see, that's the thing that Satan said to Eve in the garden when she was tempted. If you eat this fruit, you will become wise, like God. All right, well, we want to be wise, 
so, but you see, this was independently. You'll be wise like him. You'll have your own independent wisdom. And that's, uh, that's what we want to avoid. Now, I want all of God. I want to delight in every part of his character. I love God. I want to be filled with his wisdom so I can do God's will, so I can obey God fully, so I can please him and not myself. But you see, I must have him. Now, my second point is you probably lack wisdom. I'm your friend. I'm saying something kind to you, and I'm going to say it even stronger. In fact, you do lack wisdom. Now, let's read this scripture in James 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. James wrote, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I believe that many Christians read over that and think, well, I already have wisdom. Uh, God would give it to those stupid people if they just ask in faith. And that is true. God would give it to stupid people if they'd ask in faith. But my friend, it's a huge mistake to think that you have all the wisdom you need. Now, there are six different words used for wisdom in the book of Proverbs alone. And then there are what I call the cousins or the family members of wisdom, which are, <clears throat> ready, prudence, discernment, understanding, discretion, insight, and tact. And then, besides that, there's knowledge, and sometimes wisdom and knowledge are used interchangeably. So here's an example. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. So it's wisdom and knowledge, in some cases, are just used interchangeably. And then in Isaiah 33, uh, Isaiah wrote, He, that is the Messiah, <clears throat> will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. In the book of Revelations, uh, John the, the Revelator, the Apostle John, talked about seven spirits of God. Now, God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then along comes the book of Revelation, talks about seven spirits of God. In chapter 3, it says, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And then in verse 4, our chapter 4, verse 5, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Revelations 5, 6, The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Well, those seven spirits of God are seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and they are, from Isaiah chapter 11, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, why isn't at least one of the seven spirits of God the Spirit of love? Because in 1 John 4, 8, the Bible says God is love. I believe that all seven manifest the love of God, just as seven colors of the rainbow are all light. 
Now, when we define wisdom, knowledge, prudence, discernment, understanding, insight, discretion, and tact, we should all quickly see that we lack in these areas and we need them. So it's like if any one lacks wisdom, he should ask of God. Well, that's talking about you and me right there. Now, Paul wrote, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And that's the reasons that I want to get all wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, insight, tact, discernment, and discretion. I want all of that that I can. You see, I want intimacy with God. I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus, and I want to be with him just as wisdom was with the Heavenly Father at creation. I want to please God by means of wisdom, discernment, discretion, prudence, tact, insight, understanding, and knowledge. Now, we're going to get to defining these here. But you see, again, I want to please God by means of wisdom and not make wisdom an end in itself as something independent of God. All right, here's my third point. These aspects of wisdom work in combinations, and they rarely act alone. For instance, in Proverbs 8.12, the Bible says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. Uh, notice how they go together. Then in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So there you have love, knowledge, insight, and discernment working as a team. Way back in 1979, I turned my evangelism explosion class over to a certain man. I was getting ready to go on the road as an evangelist. And uh, he was in prayer one night, and, and a white cloud of God's glory uh, enveloped him, and uh, he began to see visions in the spirit, and he and he got a prophetic word for each of us on that uh, that were members of that evangelism team because we'd go out by threes, and uh, and present the gospel in homes. And part of the word that God gave him for me said this: God has given you spiritual gifts and traits to use for uniting and strengthening the body of Christ love, knowledge, understanding, and discernment. And then he wrote Philippians 1, 9 through 11. He said, God is going to show you a problem in a person's life or a problem in a church or a staff member through the gift of discernment. He'll show you the root cause, but he will also give you the answer. Love, knowledge, judgment, discernment will work together for you as your love abounds more and more. And then he continued, I saw you teaching as though you would draw a picture or write a formula on a blackboard, and as people listened, their answer would come. God has given you an anointing to teach and the gift of knowledge to explain truths from the Word of God. This knowledge will enable you to teach a congregation at their level. You will know how to teach different congregations in different situations. You will not only uh, know what to teach, but you'll know how to teach it. Unquote. 
Well, that prophecy has come to pass and continues to come to pass, for which I'm very grateful and thankful. But my point is this. We should want all these kinds of wisdom from a motive of love. The combinations of wisdom are like a championship team. Now, uh, you know, some champion of tennis plays the tennis game alone. Uh, A golf championship is won by just one person. But in basketball, football, hockey, baseball, you got to have a team. And so, similarly, you might win a few victories with just one kind of wisdom, but in many cases, it's going to take the team. Now, this is the most interesting part, I think, of the sermon in chapter, in uh, point four here. Each kind of wisdom has its own beauty and function. So, I'm going to go through and and we're going to talk about these, these different kinds of wisdom. So, first of all, is wisdom itself. And wisdom is very creative. So, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 9, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. In Exodus 31, Bezalel, who made the tabernacle of the Lord with all of its furniture and its parts and all the jewels that were in the headpiece and breastpiece of the, of the high priest, the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. And that's the first place in the Bible, by the way, that says anyone was filled with the Spirit of God, Exodus 31. So wisdom is very creative. Now, Wisdom finds justice. I want you to say that out loud and so that you'll remember it. Say it out loud. Wisdom finds justice. In Proverbs 8.20, wisdom speaking again says, I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. Now, King Solomon, uh, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. And he said, I'd like a wise and understanding heart so I can administer justice to these people that you've made me king over. And uh, uh, God really liked that prayer request because that was unselfish. And God gave him wisdom. And so not long after that, uh, two prostitutes came before the king for judgment. And they were both claiming to be the mother of this baby. And one said, uh, we both, we lived together. We both had babies. But she laid on her baby in the nighttime, and it died. And so she got up and put her dead baby by my breast, and and she took my living baby and claims it's hers. And the other one said, no, it's just the other way around. And uh, this is my baby. The dead baby's hers. And how was the king, back in those days, there was no DNA testing, and uh, nobody knew. So how was he going to find out what was just? Well, God gave him the wisdom. So he just said to someone, bring me a sword. And they brought the sword. And he said, cut that baby in half and give half to each one. And uh, so they got ready to lift the sword. And the, and the real mother said, no, don't give the baby to her. Don't harm the baby. You see, but the other one didn't have that reaction. And so Solomon immediately knew who was the real mother. And he said, give give the baby to her. She is the child's mother. And uh, 
What a wonderful thing that wisdom finds justice. Now, I remember reading somewhere a true story of an evangelist back in the pioneer days who was accompanying a, a wagon train. So they were way out in the middle of nowhere, and one of them stole some important thing from somebody, but nobody knew who the thief was except it had to be one of the members of the wagon train. And so the preacher said uh, he got them together on a dark night, and he took a big black cooking pot that was covered in soot, and he turned it upside down and put a rooster under it. And they had the people in a big circle around it. And he said, now, each of you, one at a time, is going to crawl up and touch that pot. And when the thief touches it, that rooster's going to crow. And he said, all right, start. And so one guy crawled up there and uh, touched the pot and came back. And another one did it, another one. And it went all the way around the circle, and the rooster hadn't crowed. And then he said hold out your hands, and he had a lantern, and uh, everybody had soot on their fingers except one guy. <laughs> he, he was the thief, and he was afraid to touch that pot because he knew he was guilty, and he was, uh, he was convinced that that rooster really would crow. So they knew. They, they, they caught him, and uh, I don't know what they did to him, but the, the, the point is wisdom knew how to discover justice. Uh, one time they said to Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And they thought they were going to, no matter what he said, they're going to have him in a trap. And he said, bring me a denarius. And he, whose image and inscription are on it? And they said, uh, Caesar's. He said, well, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And, and that's in three different gospels. That was an amazing word of wisdom. Now, several years ago, I was in a little town, and a pastor told me that he hadn't spoken to his son for three years. And I said, how far away does your son live? And he says, he lives right here in this little town. I said, well, what happened? The pastor said, well, he was living in my house and because uh, he was going through a divorce. And the day that the divorce was final was a Sunday. And he was in the church, and I said from the pulpit, divorce is such a painful thing. And he got up and left in a big huff, and uh, he hasn't spoke to me since. He's still mad at me, and I have nothing to apologize for. I didn't do one thing wrong. All I said was divorce is a very painful thing. I can't uh, apologize for that. It was the truth. And uh, I immediately said to him, well, pastor, on the day that the divorce was final, he was raw emotionally. And uh, by you saying that, you drew all the attention of the people to him. And uh, so I would suggest that you apologize for being insensitive to him. And the pastor got it just like that. And he went right away and called his son and apologized for being insensitive. His son jumped in the, his vehicle, drove right to the father, and they hugged and cried. And, and the relationship was restored now, I give God all the credit for that, but, you know, it just took about, only about 30 seconds to give him the, the answer. You were insensitive. Apologize for that. Well, that's once in my life that I believe I was really used by the Lord's wisdom. 
Now, what is prudence? Well, let's read some scriptures about prudence. I'll tell you in advance, prudence is all about self-management. So it says, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son, Proverbs 10.5. Now, it's prudent to make hay while the sun shines. That was a, I grew up on a ranch. We had about 500 acres of hay land. We'd have to make hay in the summer to feed the cows in the winter. And uh, the old saying was, you got to make hay while the sun shines. You can't cut the hay and, and put it in haystacks when it's raining. Now, sin, here's another one. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. You see, that that's self-management. The prudent hold their tongues, Proverbs 10, 19. Proverbs 12, 16. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlooks an insult. So what are we doing? Prudence is managing your tongue and managing your temper and managing your work life. <laughs> And then Proverbs 19, 14, houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And I believe that's talking about money management. You know, if a wife would just grab the credit card and go shopping every day and run up massive debts, that would not be a prudent wife. But a wife that manages money well, that's a prudent wife. And then Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. So prudence manages self. But you see, it also looks ahead and sees what's coming at you. So prudence is not about finding out who did the crime. It's not about uh, reconciling a relationship. It's not about how to create some beautiful work of art. It's all about managing your own actions, doing the right thing, controlling your temper, controlling your tongue, controlling your finances, etc. And then prudence also sees what's coming at you and does the right thing. So how many of you think we probably, you know, like the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, well, how many of you think we need a bunch of prudence, a whole bunch? How many of you need to manage your temper better? Raise your hands. You're all raising your hands. How many <laughs> How many of you uh, need uh, prudence to manage your tongue? Of course, I'll raise both of my hands. Help us, Lord, give us prudence. All right? Now, how many of you think our senators and our Congress need prudence? Our, our national government debt is $30 trillion dollars. Do you think our representatives in Congress are prudent? I believe that they're what I call political pirates. They've boarded the ship of state. They stole our credit cards from us. They're running up massive debts, and then they give us a little check of pocket change. While I read one place that uh, one of the stimulus checks, we were getting a certain you know amount, but eighty-five thousand dollars in debt was being added to each one of the taxpayers. Now, the angry cancel culture that gets insulted over just of everything, uh, what does that mean? That means they lack prudence. They can't control their tempers. They don't control their mouths. All right, what is discretion? Now, I, I really like discretion, and I only recently learned a definition for it because I I never knew what it was. 
I just read in the Bible, but I never, all these years I've been reading the Bible, didn't, didn't know what discretion was. So let me read a scripture. For wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way, that means the path or the road, of evil from men of perverted speech, Proverbs chapter 2. Now notice this discretion delivers you from a certain path. And then, and again in that chapter, it says, then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. So every good path is connected to discretion. Now for months, I sought a definition of discretion and I wanted to add it to my list of virtues and make it number 120. I've in my book, uh, Good and Faithful Servant, which I wish all of you would get. Uh, it's a, a book that is designed to help you bring God massive glory. And in the back is my list of virtues. and It's got 119 and, dis and discretion's not on there. But uh, I wanted to add it but I didn't know how to define it. And in my virtue list, I always have a definition. So every time I looked it up in the dictionary, it just said discretion is wisdom. It was so redundant. I couldn't get... Finally, I just, I just prayed and God gave me a, def, a definition. And here it is. Discretion sees the end of every path. That's what discretion does. It looks down the path, sees the end. It sees where that's going. Is that a good path? Is that a bad one? Is that got a bad ending? And without discretion, you get on a path thinking it was good and it could end up absolutely horrible. So once you see that definition of discretion, you'll see, you'll, you'll hear discretion all through the book, of, the book of Proverbs trying to tell you to avoid bad paths because they have a bad ending. Right off in chapter 1, it says, don't jo join in with uh, thieves and murderers who say, we'll get all sorts of valuable things and we'll fill our house with plunder, throw in your lot with us and we'll have a common purse. The end of that path is this, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end. Notice it sees the end of the path. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. All right. Now this uh, terrible uh, spending trillions and trillions of dollars that the, the government doesn't have running us <clears throat> into massive, massive debt. That's ill-gotten gain. That's just as ill-gotten gain as if you go out and murder people and rob a bank. Now notice, discretion sees the end of every path. Right, right now, the Democrats are united like thieves. They're voting unanimously to spend trillions of borrowed money, mainly to give it to their, themselves and those who support their campaigns, but it is ill-gotten gain, and it is going to take away their lives. It means that their actions of selfishness are cursed by God. Now, any congressman or woman would avoid that reckless path if they had discretion. Proverbs chapter 2, discretion shows us what's at the end of pornography or the path of adultery. It says, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. 
And in the Passion Translation, it said, you'll find her house on the road to hell. So discretion sees the end of that path. Another example in chapter 3, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. There'll be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you'll walk on your way. See, that means your path, your road. You'll walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. That means you'll be walking on a good path. Now let's listen to discretion talking in chapter 4. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That means the glorious eternity in the presence of God. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. We could say it like this. Discretion sees the trap behind the cheese. Now, wouldn't it be nice for the little mouse if the little mouse had discretion before he bit the cheese on that mouse trap and got his neck broke? And his little body carried out to the garbage and the garbage thrown into the big truck that compacts it and then uh, dumps it out in the landfill. And uh, and uh, see, if the little mouse could see the end, he wouldn't touch that cheese. All right, now, discretion speaks again in chapter 4. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be secure. Now, how do you ponder the path of your feet? Doesn't look, you don't just stare at your feet. It means you're asking yourself, where will this path end? See? Now, that's the reason I've never put money in a, a slot machine. I've never, I've walked through casinos one time I wanted to watch a Super Bowl, and the only place I could find to watch it was a casino, had big screens on, and I preached in the morning. I stood there and watched uh, uh, the Super Bowl, but I wouldn't put a nickel in a slot machine. Uh, I don't want to go down that path. That's the reason I've never drank a beer, never had a glass of wine. I, I see a lot of people ruined on that path. And so, see, I'm pondering the path of my feet. Well, that's, that's having discretion. Now, here's another example. Proverbs 5, chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, notice how discretion sees the end. In the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. That means the path to hell. She does not ponder the path of life. The Passion Translation reads it like this. She'll ruin your life, drag you down to death, and lead you straight to hell. Well, I don't want to get on the path of, of uh, pornography or uh, I, if you have discretion, see, you'd avoid pornography, strip joints, uh, websites, you know, that have all that perversion. 
You'd avoid flirting with somebody else's mate. You wouldn't have a private lunch with somebody's wife or husband because you know where that path is going if you have discretion. But if you don't have discretion, the Bible says at the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. That means the end of that path is all kinds of venereal disease, including AIDS, for instance. Now, once you see the definition of discretion, you'll just notice it over and over throughout the book of Proverbs. So, chapter 16, there is a way or a path that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, even righteous people who are on the road to heaven, how many of you think they still can take paths that may not lead to hell, but can sure mess up their lives and, and, and rob them of quality and peace? I'm trying to make a case for discretion so that you'll say, Dear Lord, I desperately need discretion. I would like to see the end of every path before I get halfway down the thing. In Proverbs chapter 23, discretion speaks about alcohol and the end of that path. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, notice discretion sees the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Well, I, I really like discretion. <laughs> I want all I can get. Let's talk about discernment. Now, this one is on my virtue list. It's number 10. I define it this way, discerning. Seek the precise truth, flawlessly balanced or focused. Distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil, wise and foolish. Stay constantly on guard against deception, error, and sin. The Bible tells us to uh, study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. And one of the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 is discerning of spirits. That's the ability to either see into the realm of spirits, hear into the realm of spirits, or smell into the realm of the spirit. You might smell a demon. You might smell the fragrance of the Lord. I remember I came home one day and I went into the bedroom and it just had the most wonderful fragrance. So I, I said to Bonnie, what kind of a, uh, did you spray some perfume in there? She said, no, but the Lord was in there with me a few minutes ago and he was speaking to me and I just had the most wonderful time with the Lord. Well, the Lord's fragrance filled that room and I got to uh, perceive it spiritually and that was an example of discerning of spirits. Now, Jesus taught uh, Kenneth E. Hagin that when he prayed for people, the hot, fiery healing anointed in his hands would flow into people. But if he put his hand, you know, the left and right hand both on someone's head or on their shoulders, and, he, and, he, and the Lord said, if, it, if the anointing arcs between your hands, then that means there's an evil spirit in their body. And... Uh, and it, they need deliverance, not healing. See, then if you just tried to pray for healing, uh, they'd never get their answer. Well, discernment would, uh, would help you know then, right, whether there was an evil spirit presence. Now, I always wanted to help people get delivered. I wrote a song when I was just 19. Uh, Wash me in your spirit, Holy Spirit, now. Let me be a channel of your love and power. 
Use me to deliver and set oppressed people free. Holy Spirit, come in your love and power. Take control of me. Well, I have been used to get people free from demons. I've been specially anointed for it. But you can make huge mistakes underneath the anointing. Uh, anointing of power is not the same as discernment. And uh, Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, but whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we're to keep down here on the earth. And a lot of people get to where they're trying to bind things in the heavens so that they'll be loosed on earth. Now that just reverses everything Jesus said. And it's what I call unscriptural binding. And from my experience, when you do that, it literally summons demons down upon people. And the most oppressed people that I've ever known spent several hours a day doing what they thought was some kind of intercession, but they were yelling at the devil, binding the devil in the, in the heavenly, so to speak, as if they were shooting up. The Bible says God has put all things under our feet, under the feet of Christ. We're in the body of Christ, so we don't shoot up at the devil. He's beneath our feet. Well, you know, a lot of times you'll go to some big revival meeting. There'll be the most bizarre manifestations. We need to know. We need to discern. Is this demonic? Is this the Spirit of God? Is this person just putting on a show? Is this person just over-emotional? Is it a human spirit, demon spirit, Spirit of God? See, that's where discernment comes in. Now, how many of you think you lack discernment? How many think you could use some more? All right, here's another kind, tact. Now, what is tact? It's a certain kind of wisdom that says just the right thing and can diffuse anger. Now, when the wise men of Babylon could not tell the king his dream because he said, you tell me what I dreamed, then I'll know that you can tell me the interpretation. They said, tell us the dream. We'll interpret it. No, he said, you tell me the dream, then I'll know you can interpret it. And when they said, that's too hard, then he was going to kill all the wise men of Babylon. And the Bible says that uh, Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, went out to put to death all the wise men of Babylon and came to get Daniel and kill him. And the Bible says Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. How many think that'd be just the right time to have tact? <laughs> and Daniel very calmly said, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Here's a guy got him by the arm, going to take him to cut off his head. And he's just talking to him with tact. Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And, and Arioch just says, well, man, he got really mad. He, he, he wants to know, uh, he wanted to have them, you know, say what he dreamed. So the, he'd know they could interpret it. Daniel said, let me go talk to him. And so Arioch took him in and, and Daniel says, King, there is a God in heaven that understands all these mysteries. Would you give me a little time to pray and seek God? And so all the execution was delayed and Daniel went home and prayed with his three friends and God gave him the exact same dream which was a, a manifestation of the word of wisdom because it could see into the future. But without tact, he would have never got to that word of wisdom. <laughs> he had to say just the right thing or he'd have got his head cut off. Well, how many of you think maybe you could use some tact uh, to diffuse explosive situations? Now let's talk about understanding. What is understanding? 
In the parable of the sower, Jesus said, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the words and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and, and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. And so Jesus said in that uh, chapter, Matthew 13, when anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Well, how many of you think to, you could use more understanding to be able to understand the Bible? What is God actually saying? Do you understand it? And what a great thing it is when God gives us understanding. Oh, I've had that happen before uh, many, many times. Thank God. Well, I better not digress or I'll get the sermon too long. Let me read from verse uh, Psalms 119. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Another verse, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Another verse, give me understanding and I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Another verse, I am your servant, give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Now, in Proverbs, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God. So just our own understanding is, is, not, uh, is often totally inadequate. You know, the Bible says in Revelations, uh, I urge you to uh, buy from me a white robe of righteousness to cover your shameful nakedness. Buy from me uh, gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and I have to put on your eyes. I said, how, how can we buy a white robe of righteousness? It's supposed to be a gift. And, and the Spirit said, uh, turn to Isaiah 55, 1, which says, come to the waters, all you who are thirsty and you have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That's where understanding welled up inside of me which is a certain kind of wisdom. And I understood that when you buy, there's an equal exchange of value. The milk is worth the money. The money's worth the milk. But when you buy without money, there's an exchange of unequal value. You give God all your trash, and he gives you all of his treasure. Well, that's an example of, of understanding, and I don't... I don't want understanding independently of God because that would be very, it would corrupt and disappoint me terribly. That's why we don't want to lean on our own understanding, but on his. Now, the Bible says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverbs 17, 27 in the ESV. Do you want to be cool? <laughs> A cool spirit. Well, that means you'd keep yourself from a hot temper. Now, Proverbs 25, uh, chapter 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So, this understanding is a kind of wisdom that understands what God is saying, but it can also ask questions until you draw out as if you were drawing a bucket of water out of a deep well, cranking that up on a rope. Uh, 
you ask questions until you understand what's going on deep in the heart of people, and then you can give them wise counsel. Well, there's much more to say about that, but let's talk about insight. What is the difference? What, what, what is insight? Now, the Bible says God, in 1 Kings 4.29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Well, insight, let me give you an example. I was, uh, I was watching Canadian geese. Day after day, they kind of spend some time in our area before they fly farther north for nesting. But while they're in our area, every day they fly around in circles. Now, they just fly and fly and fly, but they don't go anywhere. They just come back and land. And I kept thinking about that. I thought, why do they fly so much and they, they make all their geese noises and just happily get up there and fly around in circles? And God gave me insight. There's wisdom in those geese to exercise every day so that when they do have to fly farther north, all their muscles are strong and they can make the long journey. So every day, I don't know who's the leader of the geese, but they got enough sense to get up in the air and fly. And so I said to myself, well, if I want a long ministry which I do. I've had a long ministry. I want to keep it going a long time. I thought to myself, I better act like those geese. I better get up and exercise every day. Now, that's an example of insight. And the Bible says about Solomon, he spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Now, what does that mean? That means he, he could see the, with insight the wisdom that God put in all those different creatures. Now, here's an example from the book of Proverbs. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. See? So, with insight, you look at the ants and you say, wow, you know, they aren't, nobody's bossing that ant and making him go to work. No, no parents making that uh, ant get up out of bed. Uh, they're all self-starters. Man, they're wise. I'm going to be a person of action and achievement. I'm going to be like the ants. I'll be a hard worker and a self-starter. Now, here's another example. Occasionally, God gives me some insight. And uh, I... I heard about the redwood trees. They only grow in groves. Now, they grow the tallest of any tree on earth, but they only can be found in groves. That's because they interlock their roots so that when the high winds come in off the Pacific Ocean, their roots are interlocked and they can stand at those great heights. But if they were alone, the wind would blow them right over. And that's why you only find redwood in groves. Now, what's the insight for us, see? What's the wisdom we can get out of that? Well, as Christians, we need to interlock our roots in, in prayer and in fellowship. So where we're supporting each other, right? Then the wind, if we're by ourselves, the wind of adversity could blow us down, but not when we're linked. Isn't that, that's a good insight. Now, my fifth point is, is that love is the most excellent way to wisdom. 
And Paul wrote this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Years ago, God gave me this illustration, and I want to use it here. Imagine two boys who are friends, and one comes over. He's the company. He's the guest. And the host only has one cupcake, and they cut that thing in half. And one half of that cupcake is a little bit bigger than the other half. And so this selfish boy that's the host grabs that bigger half for himself. And his company then is thinking, uh, I should get the bigger half. I'm his guest. I'm not going to come over here and play at his house anymore. I'm not, he's not a true friend. This will be the last time I, uh, I spend any time with him. Now, the selfish boy doesn't realize that he made a, a stupid decision because he thought a few grains of cake were worth more than the respect of his friend and worth more than building that friendship, you see. And from that, the Lord showed me that selfishness can never make the right decision, you see. It, it just can't. And that's why when your love abounds more and more, in that love is knowledge and insight and discernment so that you can be pure and blameless and be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So what we need to do is say, Lord, I sure would like all these different kinds of wisdom, and I really need them, Lord, but you know what? I, I want them so I can be one with you and I can please you. And uh, Lord... As much as I love wisdom, it, it looks like I'm going to have to have you wash me in your love and flush out all that terrible selfishness so that I can abound in knowledge and depth of insight and understanding and tact, insight, wisdom, all that good stuff. Well, I think this is a really an interesting message, and, and uh, I'm... I'm I'm freshly impressed with discretion that sees the end of every path. So I hope you'll read the book of Proverbs with a new understanding and watch for these different kinds of wisdom there. And uh, when you look at nature, just figure, you know, there's insight in here. God put uh, all, all these different uh, species and creatures of plants and animals, even fish and birds. They've all got some wisdom from God or they couldn't have survived and uh, see what insight will show you. Well, here's my prayer for each of you. May God fill you with all wisdom, knowledge, understanding, prudence, discretion, discernment, tact, and insight as your love abounds more and more. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker.com at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485 Cresswell, Oregon 97426